Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York's business leaders warned this week that the state's child care system is broken and on the verge of collapse, and they're calling for emergency and long-term relief from the state and federal governments. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. The state's Business Council President, Heather Braschetti, says a survey conducted on behalf of employers and child care advocates finds that the pandemic is squeezing an already struggling system. Many providers have closed, and one in four of the remaining child care centers say they are at risk of shutting down for good in the next six months as they cope with new safety requirements and cleaning protocols. This is clearly a key issue to business across the state, but very distinctly so in New York City and with business leaders of color in particular. The shortage is leading to increased absenteeism, reduced productivity, and higher turnover of workers. Ultimately, the business leaders and the advocates say the federal government needs to act to provide enough funds to make up for the billions of dollars in economic losses due to the pandemic. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan, this week you spoke with the new SUNY Chancellor, Jim Malatras. He is the first SUNY graduate to lead the institution that prompted some criticism initially during the appointment process. He has quite the situation to deal with coming in with this COVID pandemic. You talked about that and many other things during your Capital Connection program. Well, that's right, David. He's very impressive. I have to say that. You know, from SUNY's point of view, you couldn't ask for more. He's a SUNY graduate in the first one. and I think that really does say a great deal about his allegiance to the institution. Not only that, he is very close to the governor. At a time of diminishing resources, to say the least, in New York State, it's great to have somebody who has the governor's ear there. He's no slouch. You know, he has a doctorate. He has taught for many years. He may not be a gray-bearded academic, but he is somebody who is seizing the reins and is quite aggressive about what he's doing. He's just appointed a student representative who will represent the interests of the student body. I think it's a very good appointment, and I was very impressed with him. And believe me, I was prepared not to be, but, well, he won me over. Alan, the governor is not happy this week after the state had managed to flatten the curve and bring the infection rate below 0.1 percent. The clusters that have broken out and many zip codes that include Orthodox Jewish communities the governor railed against what's going on, saying he didn't care what the excuse was, wear a mask, 
and then steps in the New York Times to editorialize on his relationship with the mayor of New York City and how they need to work together to, to stamp this stuff out. That's right, David. These two men do get on each other's nerves. That's, there's no question. I think it all started when they both thought they were going to be president of the United States or could be president of the United States. On the other hand, I think that, to be fair, Governor Cuomo has handled himself with great aplomb, and he really uh, got an awful lot of credit for what he was doing. Not so de Blasio. De Blasio looks weak and ineffective and is term-limited and, and therefore comes out of this each time that he goes into a battle with Cuomo looking not that good. So what we have in New York State is a failure for everybody to do what they need to do. Everybody should be wearing a mask. Now, I happen to think, since we're talking about life and death, that the way that this should be done is if you don't wear a mask and they catch you on the street without a mask, you pay a fine. And if you do it a number of times, you go to jail. We are talking about life and death. I want to emphasize that one more time. Uh, therefore, people should wear a mask. It may not look good. It may not feel good, but the fact of the matter is we know it saves lives. In your continuing conversation with the SUNY chancellor this week, you talked about the issue of voting, student voting. Now, we know that over the years we've talked about the lack of interest among students to vote, but this year many young people seem motivated, and he seemed to suggest that SUNY was on board and doing quite a bit of promotion to make sure that students get out and vote. We also see an example where students from Bard College were struggling to get to a polling place, which is down an unlit road in a part of town where it was difficult and often dangerous for them to get to that poll to vote. So the issue of students and voting and even calls for a polling place on every SUNY campus in the state. David, the hero in all of this is an obscure judge named Neil McKern, who ruled that SUNY students who ruled that students have a right to vote from their campuses. Now, he had run for Congress himself and had been defeated, and so then he was a judge, and then he, well, we don't know if he took his revenge or whether it was just the law, whatever it was, he's the hero, because now students can vote from wherever they say their residence is. And now what happens is if they are in places where the establishment feels that they're going to make changes and be uh, effective with their voice, they try to make it hard for the students to vote. Of course, there ought to be a polling place on the Bard campus and on every other campus because that's where the bodies are. To make them go down an obscure road just means that they're trying like crazy to make them not vote. It's that simple. So we do know that it's a way to influence the vote, and we don't want that to happen. And those who are making their voices heard on this are absolutely right, and the SUNY Chancellor certainly is too. Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Shartok. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustino. The National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB, 
voted unanimously this week to finalize the agency's investigation into the stretch limousine crash in Schoharie, New York, that killed 20 people in October 2018. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. Since that deadly day, family members, friends, and the public have been awaiting a final determination into the causes of the crash. It happened after a group of friends rented a modified 2001 Ford Excursion stretch limo, which hurtled down a hill and crashed into an unoccupied vehicle and came to rest in a ravine. The driver, all 17 passengers, and two pedestrians were killed. The NTSB says the limo was going more than 100 miles per hour before reaching the intersection of routes 30 and 30A. The NTSB finds the probable cause of the crash was rental company Prestige Limousine's egregious disregard for safety. Board member Mike Graham said the panel also found fault with Mavis Discount Tire, the New York State DMV, State DOT, and New York State Police, determining each could have prevented the crash. Prestige Limousine illegally registered the crash limousine, knew it was in poor mechanical condition, and on Saturday, October 6, 2018, put 17 passengers and a driver in a limousine that had been placed out of service for safety deficiencies, including brake violations. Mavis Discount Tire knowingly inspected and certified the safety of the crash limousine, contrary to the New York State DMV's policy prohibiting inspection of altered vehicles. And the New York State DOT's inspections in 2018 alone found 31 safety violations, seven out of service violations, and issued several notices of violations to Prestige for transporting passengers without authority. The board was told that New York's DMV and DOT had enough cause to stop Prestige Limousine from operating, but failed to do so. Investigators determined the limo's brake system was corroded, the right rear brake line crimped and coated with brake fluid, signaling a leak. Had the braking system been functioning properly, the limo would have been able to stop at the bottom of the hill. NTSB Chair Robert Sumwalt also criticized Schoharie County DA Susan Mallory and the state police for failing to cooperate with the investigation, delaying its completing for almost two years. Kevin Cushing's son, Patrick Cushing, was one of the victims killed inside the limo. It was painful and it was disheartening to hear the number of folks, uh, such as New York State DMV and DOT and Mavis and certainly Prestige uh, Limousine, who had one of those agencies or businesses done their job, uh, this accident should never and would never have occurred. Sumwalt says the board was not able to speak with Nauman Hussein, the operator of Prestige Limousine, who faces 20 charges each of manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. Hussein pleaded not guilty and was scheduled to go to trial in May, but the trial was delayed because of the pandemic. Sumwalt promises the NTSB will follow up on its recommendations. You know, I once heard somebody say the NTSB doesn't have any teeth. Well, that may be true, but we certainly have very sharp gums. And we, we do stay on people uh, and, and point out that the, they have not uh, responded to our recommendations or they have not responded appropriately. So uh, we do expect people to take our recommendations very seriously. Cushing says he will continue to advocate for changes to federal law to prevent future such tragedies. I was heartened to hear 
the NTSB cite the fact that New York State had passed, recently passed a number of laws to make limousines more accountable and safer going forward. So much of the efforts that I'm going to be working on going forward are advocacy at the federal level with Congressman Tonko, Congressman Delgado, Senator Schumann, and Congresswoman uh, Stefanik. I meet and talk to their offices on a weekly basis. New York DOT and DMV issued a joint statement which says in part, quote, we exercise the full authority granted to us under the law and ordered that vehicle off the road multiple times. But as NTSB's own reports on this crash reaffirm, Prestige repeatedly violated New York state law and was never authorized at any time to operate for hire commercial passenger vehicle service in the state. The full statement is posted at WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Long before the September 18th death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, at least one congressional candidate in New York was talking about expanding the Supreme Court. Now that President Trump has nominated conservative Amy Coney Barrett, other Democrats are considering the same thing, among other options. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn, has more. Democratic candidate Mondaire Jones of New York's 17th District says democracy is under assault, and if his party wants to do something about it, expanding the Supreme Court is the only option. It's something he's been writing about for a while. You know, the Supreme Court's size has changed at least seven times in our nation's history. So this is, this is deeply rooted in constitutional principles. Uh, there is nothing that says that Congress cannot alter the size of the Supreme Court. Uh, we have grown dramatically as a society in terms of population, and the issues that uh, are before the Supreme Court are far more complex than they were uh, centuries ago. And so I think it is very appropriate, given the hyper-partisan nature of the Supreme Court, uh, that, that we restore balance. Uh, because if we don't do that, nothing that Congress passes in 2021 uh, of, of great import, I think, will be something that this Supreme Court, or certainly not a 6-3 Supreme Court, uh, would, would, would uphold and respect. Jones, a former litigator in the Westchester County Law Department and former Department of Justice staffer during the Obama administration, says a reasonable expansion would yield 13 justices. Democratic Congressman Richard Neal of Massachusetts' 1st District is chair of the Ways and Means Committee. I think that it is worthy of examination as to whether or not the court ought to be expanded. I probably would not have said that before the Merrick Garland case, but I think now the hardball that has been uh, determined and we've all had to witness in the manner in which the last two Supreme Court uh, nominations have been filled, we need to take a hard look at the Supreme Court. Republican Shell Farley is running against Democratic Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney in New York's 18th District. In a statement, she says, quote, The Supreme Court has functioned well with nine members. One party's desire to hold on to control is not a justifiable reason to pack the court, end quote. Maloney has called on all Senate Democrats to oppose Coney Barrett's nomination and what he called an illegitimate process. Democratic Congressman Paul Tonko of New York's 20th District says in addition to expanding the Supreme Court, imposing term limits should be another consideration, and that Senate Democrats should weigh all options. Again, we need to go forward with, a, uh, with every opportunity to um, uh, make certain that um, uh, the impact of, of filling the, case, the, the court uh, with this sort of approach at a time that we're in the midst of an election uh, is simply uh, uh, stalled uh, at the best we can do. 
if not stopped by um, engaging the, uh, the public sentiment out there, which may be the tool we need to use. Ginsburg's dying wish was to have November's presidential election winner choose her successor. Jones, along with Tonko and some of his Democratic colleagues, say a 6-3 conservative majority would eviscerate the Affordable Care Act, reproductive rights, workers' rights, LBGTQ rights, and other civil liberties. Again, Tonko. Uh, there's no denying there are some tremendous concerns, uh, many issues of, at great risk here right now, and prime amongst them the Affordable Care Act and all that could be lost there. This president has been obsessed with getting rid of what he calls Obamacare. Jones is running to succeed fellow Democrat Nita Lowy, who is not seeking re-election to the 17th district that includes all of Rockland County and part of Westchester. We have had for some time now a hyper-partisan conservative majority on the Supreme Court that is not interested in respecting the will of Congress. I think back to the fact that the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, which had been renewed in the early 2000s with bipartisan, overwhelming support by Congress. Uh, Justice Roberts has never seen a, 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 uh, a Democratic provision, small d Democratic provision, to, to make it easier for people to vote uh, that he did not uh, find to be um, problematic. Coney Barrett is a federal appellate judge. She clerked for Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia in the 1990s. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. <laughs> Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Lake Placid last hosted the Winter World University Games in 1972. The International University Sports Federation announced in 2018 that the Olympic Village will again host the winter competition in 2023. The Adirondack Sports Council, which is coordinating plans for the Games, recently hosted a virtual town hall to update the region on progress toward the international competition. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with the details. From January 12th through the 22nd, 2023, the Lake Placid and Adirondack region is expecting more than 2,500 athletes, coaches, and officials from 50 nations to compete in 13 winter sports across the region. The Adirondack Sports Council's first town hall was virtual, with an extensive video that began with a message from Oleg Madison, president of the International University Sports Federation. Winter sport, the World University Games, are second only to the Olympic Winter Games in scope and in scale. Great, many of the Olympians from Beijing 2022 will be here, as will many winter sports stars of the future. Three years from now, many of the finest young people in the world will meet once again in Lake Placid. Athletes, scholars, future leaders. The games are staged every two years and include sports such as alpine and Nordic skiing, ski jumping, figure skating, biathlon, ice hockey, and snowboarding. In another video segment, Olympic Regional Development Authority President and CEO Mike Pratt 
described some of the preparations for the Games. We're at Mount Van Hovenberg, uh, five Olympic sports train here. In preparation for the World University Games, we're uh, planning to host events at Whiteface Mountain for alpine skiing, at Gore Mountain for freestyle skiing, and uh, at the Olympic Center for hockey, figure skating, short track speed skating, and at the Oval for long track speed skating. For the World University Games, both the opening ceremony, all the awards and medal ceremonies, and the closing ceremonies will be outdoors. The town hall also featured videos from local and regional officials expressing enthusiasm for the Games. During its live session, Adirondack Sports Council Marketing Director Chris Carroll explained the athletic events are only a part of the World University Games. We also will have, and this will be open to all the students and, and spectators as well, educational symposiums going on. It's a requirement of the Games. There'll be a lot of educational events because of the fact that we're bringing 50 different nations together the diversity and the opportunity to bring that diversity to light um, will be a big part of what we want to do. So there'll be athletic events staged every single day and sometimes in the evenings. But in between all of that, the cultural activities, the educational activities, the fun evening activities on Main Street will all be a big part of the Games. The Games will include venues and facilities in Essex, Warren, Clinton, Franklin, and St. Lawrence counties. The 2023 Winter Games mark the first time the World University Games have been held in the United States since the summer of 1993 and the winter of 1972. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. After a recent discovery of an invasive forest pest near Lake George, a new effort is being launched to prevent the spread of the hemlock woolly adelgid. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard explains. The eastern or Canadian hemlock is a dominant and historically significant conifer in New York State, but it continues to face a tiny threat. The hemlock woolly adelgid, or HWA, a teeny insect with white, fluffy-looking egg sacs, was first reported in New York State in 1985. Up here in the northern end of its range, the small bugs that feed on young twigs of eastern hemlock trees can kill a tree in 4 to 10 years. The invasive pest, originally hailing from East Asia, has spread throughout much of New York State, but the Adirondacks have been thought to have been relatively shielded from HWA. But after a recent discovery on the shores of Lake George, New York State's Department of Environmental Conservation, academics, and environmental advocates are racing to contain potential spread. It's called the Save Our Lake George Hemlocks Initiative. Here's Eric Sai, executive director of the Fund for Lake George. This is an all-hands-on-deck, uh, all-in, all-out effort to save our Lake George hemlocks. 
A population of HWA was discovered in 2017 on Prospect Mountain in Lake George, and an eradication effort was put in place, with good results. But three years later, about a dozen miles away, another population was discovered at a state campground, says Rob Davies, director of DEC's Division of Lands and Forests and New York State Forester. It was a camper at the Glen Island campground that did find it, reported it to us, and we were able to go out and put surveyors on the ground and indeed confirm that there was hemlock willia delgin. Surveyors combed the area and identified the infestation on 250 acres along one and a half miles on the eastern shore of Lake George. Zach Simic of the Adirondack Invasive Plant Program said a more extensive survey effort will be conducted from the northern edge of Lake George south to the area around Troy, previously thought to be the northern edge of established HWA populations. So across this 4,400 square mile area, we will bring to bear remote sensing technologies to help identify stands of hemlock trees with the declining health signature that could potentially signal infestation of HWA and warrant additional on-the-ground efforts. From the air, lost needles or a grayish tint might signify an HWA infestation. The state says the most effective way to control the spread of the insect is with insecticides sprayed on the bark of the tree. Davies says the goal is to begin treating trees this year to prevent further spread northward next spring. We are absolutely confident that we can control this infestation and ultimately over several years, this is not going to be a one-year, one-time uh, treatment. Over several years, we are confident that we can eliminate this infestation. While the state says insecticides are the most effective way of eliminating HWA currently, biological methods of control are being researched. To learn more about the hemlock woolly adelgid and how you can report sightings of the insect, visit wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. Copies are available by calling 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2040. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. 